Welcome to Why We Wander. We talk about why people travel, the experiences that have transformed their lives, and how the travel landscape is evolving to meet the demands of a changing world. As we round a year of no travel, we are all continuing to find ways to stay connected to the world around us, and for some that means through our stomachs. Food for many is reason enough to hop on an airplane. And while some of us are lucky enough to live where you can have shikshuka for breakfast, banh mi for lunch, and mole for dinner, nothing can compare to the moment you discover a new dish in a new place. Or can it? In this postcard episode, we will reminisce about our favorite food travel experiences, explore the explosion of interest in food travel shows during the pandemic, and consider ways to expand our palates while at home. So, Tamara, um, to kick things off, what was your favorite meal you've ever had while traveling? I know, a super, super easy one to start I the know. conversation. <laughs> it's so hard to narrow it down, in part because so much of my travel is focused on food um, in terms of like taking cooking classes or doing food tours or just going to restaurants. So it's hard to it's hard to pick one example, but one that does come to mind just because of what a cool overall experience it was was when I was in Peru, um, like seven or eight years ago at this point, which is always gonna have a good food experience because it's got the best food in the world. Like that's always been my claim, and I stand by it. Um, and this time around, my husband Aaron had come to visit me. I'd been there for a couple weeks before he joined. And I, I think was trying to sell him on Peruvian food. So I booked us a cooking class in Lima and it was summertime there. So the weather was really beautiful. We were on a rooftop and the kitchen was outdoors on the rooftop. And so it had like a really great view of the city and yeah, it just was so good. And the instructors were really good. Like one of them was Peruvian and the other guy was um, I think from Germany and had just come to Peru to set up this cooking business with his boyfriend who's a Peruvian chef. And they just operated this business out of their apartment and they kept the groups really small and we made a multi-course dinner and it was just so lovely. Like the experience was really lovely. The information they were giving was really interesting. So it was kind of part history lesson. And I'm usually really prickly about those things, just being an historian, especially someone who <laughs> is an historian of Peru. Mm -hmm. um, but they, they knew their stuff and they were able to just convey information in really cool ways. And again, the atmosphere kind of sold itself and the meal was really excellent. And we make the recipes that we made in that class like to this day. Like oh, they're awesome. pretty, yeah, like they're pretty regular staples, especially the ají de gallina, which we made, which is this like shredded chicken dish with the cheese sauce. And that's a pretty classic Peruvian dish. And it was really easily executed in the class and just gave us confidence that we could do it at home. So it's just a fun memory that we have of that place. So if I had to narrow it down, I think it would be that one just for the whole kind of experience of it all. I love that that's one where you prepared the food too, instead of it being, you know, oh, I went to this crazy five-star restaurant and had this, you know, meal that somebody else made for me. It's kind of neat that you were participating in one of your favorite meals. Um, That's true. Although maybe a little <laughs> egotistical too, where it's no, like, best no, food I ever had no, was food I made. 
<laughs> well, I, I mean, it's funny, I, I guess. Well, partially because, you know, like the question, it's like the, your favorite meal, which I guess that that means the food, but I think it can also mean the setting and the company mm-hmm. and the context and everything. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that, um, that it makes sense that it, maybe it was something where you you know, where you had a hand in it and we're learning. Um, so that's, that's really cool. We'll have to include, um, your, your kind of version of the recipe as you guys have translated it, um, to taking it home and how you, how you, um, how you make it. Yeah. And I think I, I might have the, the recipe by way of the, the people who run the class and I can link to them in the episode notes if I can dig it up. Cause it was such a cool experience. Um, so yeah, that's, that's that's my answer. What about yours? Yeah, so I um I I I guess I was kind of teasing at my answer when I was mentioning the idea of it being a meal and not necessarily the, the food. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, this just like comes to mind. Um, is a meal I had um, also with with my my husband who is who is then my boyfriend. Um, so I guess there's something to be said for mm. having the meal with a loved one. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were in Granada, Nicaragua, and it was over, um, it was in March, or I guess it was late March, early April. It was during Easter season, and we had a, um, it was Easter Sunday, and we we went to, we decided to go to the the cathedral in Granada, which is like a really big feature of the the city um, and go to check out Easter Sunday mass. And then afterwards, um, there weren't very many restaurants open because it was Easter Sunday, but there was I, now like looking back on it, it was probably like one of the more touristy places, um, but it was like near the cathedral. It was this nice outdoor cafe and it was just this kind of like hot, lazy Sunday afternoon. We had nothing to do. And we just sat there and ate delicious, I think it was probably some kind of meat dish with rice and drank lovely white wine and just kind of relaxed in the sunshine. It just felt like this kind of like one of those days that just is kind of like suspended in time. Um, And um, I just, I don't know, it just was such a pleasant experience. And um, I really had very little to do with the food. Um, and, say. <laughs> and everything to do with just kind of like being somewhere and um, that, you know, you've never been to before with somebody you love. And um, yeah, it was just a memorable meal, but really for, for nothing other than kind of the, the fact that it wasn't that eventful um, and was just really relaxing. Um, so um, I guess that's my answer because I think all you know a lot of people it's like you have these amazing meals you might have them at home you might have them in your own city you might have made them and a lot of times it's like where you are and who you're with that can kind of like transform something into like a super memorable experience um, I love that so um I guess thinking about that and like transforming things transporting you um are there any foods that you you have that like when you when like the the taste hits your lips like you're just totally transport like transported somewhere else oh gosh you know sometimes I feel like the opposite happens where I always do this to myself where I will have this amazing dish when I travel that I'll then try to recreate at home Mm -hmm. and just be so frustrated that it 
doesn't taste like the thing that I'm trying to reproduce. And so maybe that's still transportive because it's like constantly comparing and comparing unfavorably to the, the, the original. Um, yeah. So, but I don't know that that's the, the best answer. I'm trying to think of if there's a dish that like the moment I eat it, it kind of transports me. Maybe not so much to a different place, but to a different time. Like I think about mm. certain dishes I make that remind me of my grandmother and like growing up and cooking with her. So for example, she always made, um, especially in the summers that we would spend with her, she would always make zucchini bread. And oh, when we were, oh, and hers was so good. And she was, the older we got, the more she kind of developed the patience to let us help her cook. So we would like shred the zucchini and be able to kind of assemble the ingredients. Like we were more concerned at that point with like licking the bowl, not necessarily being helpful, <laughs> <laughs> just being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And so I think the experience of making that is always something that is transportive to me because it just takes me back to her kitchen and to like the dining area outside the kitchen where we would have all the ingredients assembled and just go to town on those bowls once we poured them into the loaf pans. So that's more, I guess that's to a place. It's not like travel in the sense that we tend to talk about it as international travel, but mm -hmm. still something that takes me to a different a different place and a different time and just like a really loving setting more than any other thing that I can, I can think of. And that's I a think, tough one. Yeah, and I think like zucchini bread, it has this, it's such like a, when it's baking, it has such a strong scent. You know, like, I feel like that's one of the things, like, it's like this warming, like, it lingers, you know, in the house. And mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. so I feel like it's one of those things if like you're, you're baking it. And, and then it just like, it, it just keeps, it, it's just this lovely scent that I feel like the throughout the rest of the day, you're like, oh, <laughs> like, True. I'm so glad I made this. Yeah. Um, that's a nice memory. Yeah. Do you have one? Is there a dish that really takes you, especially if you don't remember the meal that you had at that Easter yeah. Easter dinner? Is there something else? Well, so I would say um, it's more like more like drinks, which is what I was saying. Like when it hits your lips, I was thinking mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. that movie where he's like, "The taste so good when it hits your lips," um, and I guess I'm thinking of a beer cocktail um, mm. that um, a michelada. Have you ever had one? Mm. Um, yeah, they're um, they're not my favorite, but yeah. No. <laughs> but describe describe it to listeners. Yeah, so it's just basically, um, it's popular in, in Mexico, um, and um, it's like a really simple, usually like a simple lager type beer, like a Corona, um, or um, a Dos Equis, or um, just anything that's kind of like a really basic lager, and then you will drop um, a, a little bit of, typically it's like a little bit of like a like a Tabasco or like tomato um, sauce type, um, kind of like hot sauce in it, just like a couple drops. And then um, you will drop a lime in and some salt. And people kind of prepare it in different ways. Um, you can like serve it over ice. Um, you can kind of just like shake it all up in your beer bottle, depending on where you are. Um, and it just kind of gives um, a really simple um, kind of tasting beer, like a little kick. Um, and the first time I had it was in, in Puerto Escondido, which is on the Pacific coast of Mexico. Um, and just, um, 
was like, I never had thought about doing that to my beer. I like always just thought of beer as just this thing that you had on its own, like never turn adding anything to it um, other than maybe a lime with a Corona. Um, and um, it's just like a really fun thing to, to like do. And just whenever I have them or basically whenever I have um, that kind of beer, like I'm automatically brought back to like sitting on the beach. Um, mm. But I think generally mm -hmm. cocktails are something that can be really transportive, like, you know, having a margarita, um, anything like that. Like, I think partially because it is kind of like transporting your brain somewhere else a little bit as you're drinking mm -hmm. it. Um, right. Literally. So, yeah. So anytime I have a, a michelada, I'm definitely brought right back to um, sitting on a beach, which is nice when it's March in New England. And maybe I should mm -hmm. make one. Um, <laughs> so now you can get, I mean, Michelada's had a moment. I remember probably it was like, I don't know, maybe 2008 in New York City. They were kind of like everywhere in every single restaurant. Um, and so you, you can find them, um, you know, but you can just go ahead and prepare one yourself as well. Um, it's not, not too difficult. Um, and you really can't go wrong. Sometimes they look like a Bloody Mary. They're so dark um, with the tomato juice. And other times it basically looks like a beer that's just been kind of kissed with a little bit of red sauce. You know, maybe I should give these another chance because I can't even remember the last time I had one and didn't like it, but it was long enough ago that I think my palate has evolved enough that it would be worth trying it out, especially because I like spicy drinks and mm -hmm. I like beer enough. Like it's not something I actively seek out, but it's also not something that I think is gross in the way that I used to. So I'll have to, I'll have to give it a shot, especially if it, if it has these transportive qualities. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's just like a nice, simple thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think that, um, it's also something about like, visually how it can be really fun like if you're like salting the rim and you have like the green lime and um just yeah well you know what next time we get together we should make them yeah no for sure that'll be something to look forward to <laughs> yeah and now you're making me think this is kind of a bummer but now you're making me think of the drinks that you can't you can only have in a particular setting like when you were describing beaches, it made me think about Brazil and how on the beaches of Rio de Janeiro, they have coconuts that they just kind of lop the top off of and just put a straw directly into. Oh my God. And <laughs> so that's hard to come by, right? Like you can find coconuts in supermarkets, but you'd be hard pressed for them to have much in the way of liquid left inside them because they have been so far away from their point of origin. Whereas in Brazil, they're just kind of basically being plucked from the tree, right? The moment mm -hmm. that you're ordering them. And so it, it just wouldn't be the same, even if you could get the actual coconut, right? So only in these tropical environments can you have something like that, which I guess is also the beauty of it, right? That there are certain drinks that and foods that you can try to recreate the experience of consuming in their original place, but then there are others that just are best left to enjoy in, in the settings where you first had them. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm trying to think if I can come up with some more examples of that that's like a really fascinating question especially in today's world where like you know definitely if you live in a an urban area in the u.s like it, it feels like you can get almost any ingredient that you that you're looking for um mm -hmm. or you know also like ordering things online 
um, you typically can can hunt things down and, and find them that way. Um, so even though it feels that way, I, mm-hmm. it's, that's a really great point that you're making that there's some things that maybe are um, best left to kind of eating at the point of origin. Um, maybe the category is also just street food, which I would put that in the same category, things that you would get at a kiosk or things that you would get at a market or something that is like made on site. Mm-hmm. Because often they have like really specialized equipment. So another thing from Brazil that I think about are these like churros stuffed with basically caramel. And mm. they would like have little trucks with the churros. And then they have little guns, like they're kind of like caulking guns <laughs> full of caramel that you shoot into the churro. Oh and God. part of what's so delicious about them is that they're just like warm and powdery and you know like just it's the whole texture experience and the fact that the equipment makes it possible and I've been to restaurants that have tried to kind of reproduce that where it's like a bowl of caramel that you can dip the churro into and it's you know it's still delicious right these ingredients can't really go wrong together but the experience of it kind of assembled the way it is I think is very different and I could go on I feel like Brazil in particular has a lot of those street foods that only work in that context like there's another one um, that's popular more in um, in Salvador in the north. It's called um, acarache, and it's this black-eyed pea type patty stuffed with okra, stuffed with different meats and kind of pickles. And it's something that is kind of created by Afro-Brazilian women, and it has its origins in West Africa. And all of the equipment that they use to assemble it is very specialized. So it would be hard, and I'm sure there are recipes out there that try to recreate it, but it just it's all about the, the setting and just the experience to the ambiance of it all. The fact that it's being prepared by these women in particular who have occupied these roles for generations and like inherited the the recipe from their mothers and their mothers before them. So it's just a, it's a different type of thing. I guess you could say that about a lot of different foods, but I do think street food has something special about it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're making me think about also like when you're preparing dishes for like a really large group and kind of like the economies of scale, but how sometimes that like also Mm -hmm. makes things more special because like the, like if you think about somebody making paella or something like that, it's just Mm -hmm. like, you know, this, these like huge portions that somehow in like, you know, these dishes, like you can never do that at home in the same way, like on your own, mm-hmm. on your own mm-hmm. stovetop and just, mm-hmm. just a different experience. Um, yeah. So the reason enough to, to travel and not just expect DoorDash <laughs> to bring the world to you, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're just bumming ourselves out now. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, so, um, you know, thinking of you know armchair travel, um, do you do you watch a lot of like food travel shows, especially these days when we're kind of stuck at home? It's funny. I used to. I think something about the current moment makes it hard to. Um, maybe not just because it's like emotionally hard, but I think also because there's so much television that it's hard in general to kind of narrow down a particular genre and so often it's like okay what are people talking about on the internet that is going to capture your attention um so i'll, I'll come back to that because there is one because of that that i started to watch and because of you but i used to watch um i used to watch no reservations which i think is just without equal right like i think there's who didn't watch that and who didn't yeah. love it and it just i think set the standard for a lot of those types of shows especially just the amount of 
regard and respect that he had for different traditions and different food ways. And that was always very clear. Like the thing that stands out to me from all the episodes of that show that I watched was when he went to, um, he went to Kenya and he was in the so-called bush with this community of people who hunted and gathered their meals and made use of every part of the animal. And he was being served intestines from, I think a wild boar mm-hmm. and I could have the animal wrong, but I know it was the intestines. And I remember because he ate them and you could tell by the look on his face that it was an unpleasant experience because they didn't have running water. And so they did their best to clean the intestines, but he Mm -hmm. could still taste the remnants and was trying to kind of convey both his profound sense of respect and appreciation for the fact that like, this was something that was really special to the people who were serving him. It was hard to come by bush meat and they were going to use every bit of it that they could. And the fact that they were going to give some portion of it to this visitor was clearly this act of hospitality that he really appreciated. And he was always good at appreciating that. And it was also a really difficult thing for him to eat. And so I just remember being so impressed by how he walked that line and that he didn't kind of play to the audience in that moment because he also knew that he was surrounded by living, breathing people who wanted his approval and wanted to see his appreciation for what they were doing. So Mm -hmm. it's so sad to think about too, right? Because it was such a special gift he had and and now he's gone. so yeah. it's hard it's hard to watch other ones without thinking of Anthony Bourdain. I know, uh, I know. And I'm sure it's hard for the people who are doing the shows to kind of yeah. like follow in his footsteps. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess I used to watch another one I used to watch that came on around the same time and it was kind of on the other end of the spectrum was Bizarre Foods with Andrew Zimmern. And yeah. even the title was a kind of giveaway for his approach to things because it was always like what makes it bizarre? Like it's bizarre to you, but is it really bizarre? And it, it was always like stuff from Asia and like right. stuff from, <laughs> you know, those parts of the world that he, so he was like playing to a very particular kind of audience and very particular kind of sensibility. And I just remember I used to see his, his tongue so much and like him just like opening his mouth and like chewing with his mouth open it just wasn't the same not appeal to me at all i never could watch for so many reasons (laughs) and then there's like guy fieri um who that was more of a domestic travel i don't know if he ever went anywhere international um drive a Drive, drive-ins. Diners, drive-ins. Diners and, and dives. Diners, <laughs> yeah, diners, drive-ins and dives. Which is kind of, I mean, it's a fun concept. I mean, mm-hmm, but he mm-hmm. was just, I found him to be pretty obnoxious. Um, but he did have, like, respect for the, the tradition. So he was always yeah. just like, mm, that looks so good. And like, oh, yeah. that looks so good. He wasn't like making faces to the camera no, i feel no, like that no. was andrew zimmer's yeah, angle it, yeah the the bizarre foods i just could not handle the guy yeah. theory i agree there would be the, that moment where he's like sinking his teeth into something and you're like all right you're really appreciating that. yeah <laughs> and he didn't have like the biggest vocabulary to describe stuff so it was always just like gesturing like, yeah exactly 
I can't believe. Okay, there probably has been a Saturday Night Live skit about him, but if there hasn't, like there still could be. <laughs> like, there still could be, right? Like where there's just like, 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 like food just like splurting out of the person's mouth, like, <laughs> just like in like a really comical way, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> juice is like going everywhere it's true <laughs> right because people were too busy making fun of like his hair yeah but he had other <laughs> other mannerisms that i think you could play up yeah oh man yeah i um i'm trying to think if there there's there's another local show that i always get sucked into whenever i'm watching just like regular tv like i guess cable tv or it's not even cable i think it's on one of like the more local channels um in new england and it's called mm -hmm. the phantom gourmet um Ooh. and it's basically it's like so so local um where it's just like not even it, it's kind of like your basic restaurants like it's not like only like the most critically acclaimed restaurants that they're going to it's just kind of like any restaurant kind of in the general new england area like the, he kind of does like a weekly review of like what's new and different and like goes into the restaurant and interviews people um it's been on for years and it's, they've mm. had a couple of different hosts um and I don't know, I've always just found it really relaxing. I think I, I find like food travel shows to be generally just like such a nice kind of chill out thing, like what can go wrong. Um, even watching um, Anthony Bourdain and some of the foods that, that he's eaten where you, like you said, like you know that it was probably not the best experience for him. Like I still, <laughs> there's something ultimately relaxing about sitting on your couch and letting somebody else do the travel for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I um I actually um just this past week was wa watching um that that salt a uh, fat acid um show that's on net Netflix. Have you seen oh, that? Oh. No, I've heard of it. Salt fat acid heat. A heat, yeah, with um mm -hmm. Samin Nazrat and um mm -hmm. that's I really I really like it. I need to it's not new. It's been on it was maybe it's maybe 3 years old. Um, mm -hmm. and I was watching just because I'm dying to go somewhere warm. I was watching yeah. the one on acid, which is all about, um, the Yucatan and in, in Mexico and, um, mm. and she's really great. And I guess I'm bringing her up because I'm saying she and her, because all of the mm. other hosts that we were talking about were men. Um, yeah. and I think it's just kind of like a different experience to, to watch like, a woman enjoying food on TV <laughs> and mm -hmm. like taking those like healthy bites and being like, this is delicious. And yeah, um, you know, appreciating it. And, and, and it's, it's, there's something, I guess, um, about that, that change that is, is really refreshing and important. Um, and yeah, That's so such I a good recommend point people watch that. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah. There's something about, yeah, not watching, you think of Julia Child, like she always enjoyed her food thoroughly um, after she cooked it. Um, so she obviously set the stage a long time ago, but I feel like in between that, there haven't been as many, uh, you know, women kind of doing doing that and, and being the, the, the critic and also being the person who's enjoying it publicly. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I know this isn't travel related necessarily, but I remember Nigella Lawson, who used to always have shows on, was mm. it, was it the cooking channel or? 
I think she's I on, remember. yeah, maybe Food Network or Cooking on Channel. On Food Network, yeah. And her whole angle is, like, sensual, right? And, like, food right. is sensual, eating is sensual. And, like, she's this, like, beautiful, sensual woman. So that was always kind of how she would eat. So mm -hmm. even that is, like, a particular type of woman consuming food that you don't that it means that, you know, when you see women consuming food in the, and I don't know how Samin Nosrat consumes food, but it, it does seem like that's one standard, right? Like for a woman to kind of sexily eat, but like, right. is there a woman who's doing what Guy Fieri is doing or like even what Andrew Zimmern's doing, like chewing with their mouth open or anything like yeah. that? I would say she's kind of just like, just being normal, you know, mm -hmm. which I think is what's really nice about watching her is like yeah. she's just kind of doing what we all do when we eat and like and just being like a, a genuine person to the to the host, you know, whoever she's, um, you know, interviewing and learning from uh, just kind of having genuine interactions with them. And um, and yeah, I would say like, you know, heartily enjoying the dishes, though, and um, yeah, so that's funny though. Yeah, you think about Nigella or um, Giada, like they're much more about kind of like the slow eating. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> making eyes at the camera yes. and like just like letting the liquid drip down their chin and all that stuff. <laughs> so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, the other thing that you're you're touching on too is the fact that like she's a woman of color, right? And mm -hmm. that so many of these these food shows are are white men so then it just changes the the angle too where it's like okay well she's probably not going to think of certain things as bizarre in the same way that that Anthony Bourdain or Andrew Zimmern would think of things as as bizarre especially food from from her own culture and, and food ways or similar types of, of food ways so like that's kind of cool to see too which makes me wonder or makes me wish for <laughs> A bizarre foods hosted by a brown woman where they just like go to or a black woman where they just go to like England yeah and eat like Yorkshire pudding and then vomit <laughs> or be like oh this is so weird yes why like that should happen <laughs> right <laughs> like and why like, is what, it so bland yeah like I, I mean like and also isn't it bizarre like how processed some people's food you know like people mm -hmm. eat like such processed foods and like it's like oh it's bizarre because something is coming from the source you know like it's right. bizarre because you made it yourself or like you grew it or you hunted it um right and, and maybe it's bizarre that we eat things that are half plastic because they're so processed <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or chock full of you know corn and yeah. corn byproducts because of the lobby right yeah yeah, well, we'll we'll link to um, some recommended shows that are showing uh, other people, other than white men, enjoying food, <laughs> because <laughs> there are some, <laughs> and yeah. there should be more. <laughs> there should be more. Uh, so, but when you think about those kind of food-oriented travel shows, like have you have you gone to a place based on one of those shows or do you have in mind wanting to go to a place based on one of those shows because the other one that we haven't mentioned that you told me about was the Stanley Tucci one in Italy which makes me kind of draw up a list of all the places that he's been both in terms of the the restaurants themselves but also just the cities that he's in because they're so beautiful but are there other shows that you've watched where you're like oh yeah it's on my list and like you've actually followed through with going to that place 
Yeah, well, speaking of the Stanley Tucci show, I'm just like basically boycotting that show because I could not go to Italy last March. Ah, <laughs> uh, right. right. <laughs> I just can't watch it. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's just like no. That's fair. <laughs> no, the, the the episode I watched was was really good, um, and um, yeah. So I'm trying to think. I there's what this one restaurant in LA that comes to mind, but I. I have a, or it's not even a restaurant. It's actually a, a stall um, at um, the. It's in downtown LA. I think it's called like their Grand Central Market is the name of the the market in downtown LA, where it's a bunch of. It's kind of like a food hall, um, and there's this um, one of the stalls is called Egg Slut, which is just such a like kind of trendy name um and the only the, the reason why I feel like I must have seen it on a tv show is because like I don't know what compelled me to like really 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 need to go there a couple years ago when I was LA but I was like we have to go to egg slot like I must have either read about it in the New York Times or I don't know some blog I follow but I have a feeling it was a tv show but I can't even remember what tv show it was somebody influenced me to go to egg slot and stand in line um, because there was a line um and I got the egg sandwich um and it was all right <laughs> like it really wasn't that remarkable um which was I mean I don't know I guess like like egg sandwiches are always like pretty good right like um and sometimes somebody might add a sauce that makes it like exceptionally good but um I wasn't quite as it wasn't the longest line ever like so I wasn't like oh god this was a huge waste of my time or anything um and um I and like I liked going and checking out that market in general it's a it's a cool place to go and there's lots of other stalls to check out as well um so I'm not trying to throw egg slut under the bus um but it just or egg slut shame it yeah yeah exactly oh my god you had to I had to But I was actually Googling around because I wanted to see if they were still open um, because this was a few years ago. Um, And one thing that came up, speaking of Anthony Bourdain, is that he actually coined the term egg slut, um, basically making fun of chefs who always just throw an egg on top of anything, um, mm. which you know is kind of a like also a little bit of a food trend in the past few years yeah. where it's just like, oh, put an egg on it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, That's funny. Yeah. So anyways, going back to him. Um, but what yeah. about you? I hope you have a better, better story and experience than I do. I have two. So one was kind of inadvertent, like it wasn't like, oh, I was at home watching a travel show and making a list and then following through with it. I was actually already on my way to Spain and I was watching, I was bored. I think I had run out of movies to watch and was just like flipping through the the TV that's on the headrest. And there was a travel show um, hosted by Samantha Brown. Oh, Samantha Brown. (laughs) And I had never watched it before. And that was like my bad because she made everything look so amazing. And so I started taking notes on the places that she had gone to. And I was headed to Madrid and it was an episode on Madrid. And she mentioned this place um, called Asturianos. And it was food based on the cuisine of Northwest Spain. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to go to Northwest Spain. So that would be fun to experience that in Madrid. And um, 
this was another trip where I was there before my husband, but then he came to join me. And then we had some friends who happened to be passing through at the same time. So like part of the fun of it was that it was just like a fun outing, but mm. also the food was so good. It was, and I, we ordered everything that she told us to order and <laughs> she, she knew exactly what she was talking about. They had this um, chocolate mousse dish that was served in a wine glass and topped with, or made with olive oil and like sea salt. Oh. Oh and it was God. just incredible. It was just the best. So I owe her a thank you letter because it was just such a great meal. Um, wow. And the other one that I think about is actually closer to, to home where I live in Toronto because I can't remember what we were watching. It was some show that was clearly filmed in Toronto, but not necessarily intended for a local audience. So it was us just kind of catching our city on, on a travel show because it was like, after dark i'll have to look it up and try to try to post it in our episode notes but it was basically like suggesting all these places in downtown toronto that kind of come alive after certain times of day and so they mentioned a place that just looked really good and it was in this neighborhood that's nearby in, in kensington in the kensington market neighborhood and we hadn't really been there because we had just recently moved to toronto so i was like we should check it out mm-hmm. and we've since been multiple times so again it was just like a really great example of uh cooking show, I mean, a, a travel show doing exactly what <laughs> they're supposed to do, which is to point you in the right direction and yeah, give you yeah. a, a roadmap for enjoying the experience. Because even in that case, we ordered exactly what they told us to order. And it was great. Oh, that's fun. That's fun to like see a travel show about a town where you just moved to, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, it was perfect timing. It was really good timing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we happened to go there on a night. They didn't mention this, that they had live music on certain nights. And we went there in the summer and there was this cover band that was so good and you know cover bands aren't always good and more often than not they're they're really bad but this one was so good and like they were in front of the the window at the front of the restaurant so like a cool breeze was coming in so the whole scene was just really great and it was it was wonderful and it's one of my favorite places now so when you know when those things are possible to experience again we'll we'll go back Um, Oh God, you're like talking about cover bands and kind of like saying that they're lame. And I'm like, I don't care. That's true. I'm going to see like a million cover bands right now. I'm going to a cover band every night. (laughs) (laughs) Although now there's another angle to it, which is that would you be somewhere where people are just yelling in your face, which is basically what they're doing. (laughs) Right. It's like... It does make you nostalgic, but it's hard to be excited for something like that because it's like, I know. and then they're playing. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> there's a whole other downside to cover bands now. Yeah, um, and cover bands are always like also the uh, the audience is always yelling because everybody knows the songs. So like yeah. everyone's singing. <laughs> yeah, it's like karaoke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, another thing that'll be weird to do. Oh, no, people are going to have nightmares after watching, listening to this episode. They're going to have COVID. I know. <laughs> but and then I was stuck again, in a piano bar and everyone was singing and no one had masks on. <laughs> but maybe one day we'll have renewed appreciation for those things and oh, we will. maybe on a on a brighter, more forward thinking note, like are there places that you would go just to eat a particular dish? Maybe something that you've seen covered in a travel show or that you have read about that now you're putting on your lists like even if you weren't so interested in the place you've heard so much about the the dish or the mm-hmm. cuisine that you're like okay i gotta go there 
Yeah. Well, I, I'm definitely that olive oil mousse that you're talking about. Like, <laughs> I've never thought about like having mousse based with olive oil instead of um, mm-hmm. more like a, you know, a cream and egg type thing. Um, mm-hmm. So that sounds amazing. I will definitely travel for that. Um, but I would say that uh, what I like, what interests me most is the, the idea, like what you were saying about traveling places where to places where you're kind of watching the process of something being made. So, you know, traveling um, to the source um, of a particular wine um, Mm, or mm -hmm. cheese or olive oil. Um, And not to say that those things can't be shipped and you can have them wherever you are. But I I think that that's really what's most fun for me, like going and watching tequila being made and kind of like Mm. driving past the agave plants on your way to to the factory mm-hmm. um so um yes i would definitely travel um for a particular kind of like type of cuisine or type of product um to to watch it being made and then to enjoy it kind of you know after you've learned about that i'm trying to think of a like a particular thing that right now i really want to um to watch um, the pro- learn more about the process. Um, I would say um, one thing that like I still haven't ha- had the experience of doing is like like an olive oil like tour. It was something when we were mm-hmm. we were last in Italy, we had been looking them up. But um, mm-hmm. one thing to note, if that's something that you are interested in, is that um, it only happens in certain times of year, obviously, because there's like certain times of year when they're harvesting and um, pressing. And so like, you can't just like when you're in Italy, expect that you think there will be an olive oil factory that's doing tours that are worthwhile enough to visit like you might be able to go to the factory but will they actually be doing something um is another question um so you know if that's something that excites you um whether it's something like olive oil or another type of um a process that is seasonal um then you definitely want to pay attention to the seasons that it's happening and you know base your trip around that instead of kind of like hoping that like oh i'm going to a country that's famous for xyz like i'll be able to see it happening when i'm there um, so yeah what about you well mine is kind of different because i feel like it's a pretty straightforward dish so it's this dish called chicken and rice that is popular in Singapore. And there's one food stall in Singapore that has like two Michelin stars. And that's like one of the only food stalls that has two Michelin stars. And so already it's just kind of this remarkable place. And it's, it's especially remarkable because the dish itself isn't all that intricate. It's just like (laughs) there's truth in advertising it's chicken and it's rice and it's more about kind of the the marinade on the chicken and the um the condiments that you put over it and so like the the dish when it comes together is really great but like it seems like it's not all that interesting to see prepared because he's just hacking off bits of chicken the guy who runs the stall and Mm -hmm. dishing it over a bowl of rice so like the the sausage getting made aspect of it isn't all that interesting. It's more just like how did this person, we're just kind of experiencing the, the fruits of this person's talent, especially because so much of the, the labor is overnight because it's like some marinade that he puts on and lets it until the next day. So you're not really seeing much, um, but it seems worth it. And so much of it is kind of based on 
just the, the the expertise involved right just like the the technique being honed over mm -hmm. years because i think he's had this stall for like 15 20 years and it took a while for him to get to the point of having the michelin star so it's just kind of a reward for this guy just being really good at this one thing and i think it's the only thing that this stall serves is chicken and rice and so he just became a master of his of his craft and it just seems like worth it to go for for that alone and to have that kind of experience even if it's just in a crowded shopping center which is the the way it seems described so that one sounds amazing and then obviously there's so many other aspects of singapore's food scene that would be worth checking out after that because they've got night markets where there's all kinds of food because it is this kind of global gateway that connects so many different parts of asia so i would start there and <laughs> and then build my itinerary around the the rest of it um all of which is making me think about the the whole concept of michelin stars because there is a lot of interesting history to that in terms of what the stars mean because people tend to associate it with quality and i think that is a big part of it but historically because it was a guide that was put out by the tire manufacturer those stars corresponded to whether it was worth either kind of pulling along to this kind of roadside place or this this place in a small town in france and having a meal if you happen to be in the area versus detouring if you have the chance to kind of go 40 45 minutes out of your way versus like making a trip purely for the purpose of visiting this particular restaurant and so like that's what the 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 stars are meant to convey that sort of sense that it's worth going out of your way it's worth making a special trip and so maybe that's something we can do for another episode is talk about that that star system and and history behind it Thanks for listening to Why We Wonder. Our theme song is by Andrew Keating. If you like the show, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. And consider signing up for one of our intentional travel workshops. They start on January 30th and run monthly through the end of June. For more info, visit thewanderingscholar.org slash intentional dash travel or find us on social media.